creating new revenue streams, gaining better efficiency, and cost savings are outcomes they're all striving for. For them, leapfrogging competitors hinges on the ability to do more than just create a product. That's why manufacturers are feeling the pressure to move from a product strategy to a service-oriented strategy. In fact, 86% of senior decision makers for more than 600 manufacturers told Cisco that the transition from product-centric to a services-oriented model is a core part of their growth strategies. But it's complex, and it's that complexity that's holding them back. To resolve this dilemma, the services and the digital journeys must converge. Let's face it. Connected factories can boost profits by up to 19%, according to the latest Manufacturing Thought Leadership Study. And it's this journey we're going to talk about today. I'm Stephanie McCann, the editor of Connected Futures, and joining me is Douglas Bellin, Global Lead of Manufacturing and Energy Industries at Cisco. Thanks for joining, Doug. Thank you, Stephanie, for having me here. Looking forward to our conversation. Great. And also with us is Scott Lapsowicz, VP and General Manager, Customer Support and Maintenance for Rockwell Automation. It's great to have you here, Scott. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm looking forward to the discussion as well. Great. So let's set the stage. What does a services model in manufacturing look like? Great question, Stephanie. I think it's a question that has been evolving over the last couple of years and probably will evolve as we go forward. Um, a lot of things that we're seeing in services is how a company can go from just a production capability to a produce on demand and produce on different capabilities with that whole flexible manufacturing environment that we're starting to see more and more of as we move forward and as our customers move forward as well. Now, this could be a services model from a manufacturer to an end user. Um, so maybe it is what we're seeing a lot in connected homes, where you're seeing a, you know, use an example of a connected refrigerator. So that refrigerator actually talks back to the manufacturer and starts giving them information about the health of that refrigerator. Taking that from a manufacturing standpoint, um, and looking at, I'm a manufacturer of machinery for a manufacturer. So we can do the same type of capability to start offering that services offer to the user. And in this case, the user could be, in the case of the refrigerator, the home, or it could be the machine user that is actually creating the products from that standpoint. Scott, how are you seeing the type of services that you guys are seeing within Rockwell? Yeah, I agree with your comments, Doug, and I think um, what we see in my business is our service business has existed for quite a long time, uh, and the traditional service model was supporting our hardware and software products. But what rapidly has been developing for the last you know, two or three years is due to the uh, digital nature of plants and how plants are evolving with intelligent devices and intelligent machines, as well as the convergence of connectivity between the plant floor and uh, upper-level ERP systems, there's more and more complexity on the plant floor. That complexity has tremendous opportunity to understand uh, what's occurring on the plant floor, how to optimize production, how to optimize what's coming in and going out of a plant. Um, but, the, but what that presents for both the end users as well as machine builders is how do I get moving on this journey? 
how do I move towards a highly connected digital factory and get some of these benefits? So as Rockwell, providing automation solutions, increasingly we're providing more services to help customers move through this evolution uh, on their plant floor or if it's a machine builder as well, uh, how they can leverage technology to enable their customers, right, to get the benefits of the digital factories. We're seeing a number of service opportunities in that area as well as in a second area, once customers are connected and developing intelligent data, is helping them leverage it, help us understand uh, what all this data means for us and how we can really optimize the output of our assets, how we can optimize our line performance and services such as that. So um, this is uh, enabling us to deliver a tremendous amount of value uh, for both our machine builder and our end user customers. So, so one of the things I'm hearing, Scott, is that we've got a lot of machinery that's still orphaned out there. And what I mean by orphaned is it's not even connected. So we've got, you know, looking at machinery that isn't connected, and the average age of machinery out in the manufacturing environment is actually 15 years old. Um, so when we, when we work with customers from that connectivity standpoint, the, the first question is, I've got a machine that was built before the Internet existed. Um, you know, so how do I not even worry about what do I do with the data first, but how do I actually get to the data? So how, how is Rockwell and Cisco, in your point, helping enable our customers in that area? Well, I think uh, a couple things. First, just in general, um, we've developed a whole set of services in terms of what we call our network services and infrastructure business, where we'll go into a given plant floor site uh, and we'll do an upfront assessment um, of everything they own and the current level of connectivity um, that they have on the plant floor and, and really develop a master plan uh, along with potentially the actual engineering work uh, to develop those plans on how they can uh, achieve connectivity uh, on the plant floor uh, all the way down to the device level, up through the machines and up to the ERP level um, so that they can begin to think about getting those benefits uh, of the digital plant floor. So we have a whole set of services there that's helping customers move through that journey. Uh, a big part of that also is making sure they have the right security uh, built into that infrastructure um, so that the information is secure uh, within their plant environment. The, the second thing we're, we're doing quite a bit of also is uh, developing modernization plans for plant floor beyond just the network connectivity, um, but also up to the machines and, and automation layer uh, on how customers can develop a modernization program, which might take several years, um, but so that they have a plan that we can again help them work through um, so that as they modernize their plants. So how is, so, you know, Rockwell's a, a a seller of the product, but Rockwell is also a user of their own product as, you know, Cisco always talks about our Cisco on Cisco story, and we're actually working with Rockwell at some of our facilities on Cisco and Rockwell on Cisco. Um, how is Rockwell, you know, doing this, and what, what are some best practices that you guys have come across within your facilities or even with some other customers out there? Well, I think, to your point, some of the best practices, I think, first, um, 
number one is, is start with a plan. You got to assess what you have. Number two, understand what your goals are as a business and obviously how your manufacturing operations fit into that strategic plan. Uh, and, and an outcome of that plan is what needs to be done from an infrastructure and modernization standpoint uh, in order to achieve those outcomes that you're looking for. So it may sound elementary, um, but I think we find a lot of customers we deal with want to get there, but they, they, again, they don't have a plan, so they don't, they don't know where to start. So again, I would say that's one best practice to utilize. Uh, a second best practice that we utilize within our own plants as well is as you get connected and integrated, make sure all that data is being captured um, through some of the enterprise software applications that we provide uh, and use in our own plants um, so that that data can be captured, trended, and analyzed to determine well, what can be done in our manufacturing operations either to improve output or improve quality, et cetera. And I think the, the third thing would be to make sure as much as possible you can begin to integrate your manufacturing operations with both the front end of the, your business and the back end, that being your customers as well as your suppliers, so you can begin to optimize responsiveness to demand of your customers as well as placing demands on your own suppliers to optimize your own inventory and your own production. Those are some of the things that uh, we leverage within our own plants um, and some of the outcomes were tremendous improvement in quality, uh, reduction in inventory, increase in inventory turns, significantly higher fill rates for our customers in terms of us supplying our products to our customers, uh, all of which drove tremendous value for us as a company. So you mentioned data, and data, in, in, in my opinion, in my, my working with customers out there, and even internally, when we started down this route around IoT and more stuff out there, um, data scares people. One, you know, what we're talking about first is unlocking the data that exists so we can actually start reacting to what's going on. So looking at what's there, you know, scares people because it's, if it's not there and they can't see it, it's a great way to hide, right? Um, but two, you know, if we look at the numbers and the proliferation of sensors that are coming out and talking, you know, some surveys are 20 billion sensors in the next five years, some are 40, some are 50. The number doesn't matter. It's a huge, huge amount of data um, from those sensors because each day, you know, just throwing a sensor out there, and not using the data off of it is not the right answer. It's, again, it's that plan that you were talking about, um, but then now that plan is, where does the data come from? What do we do with it and how do we do it? What, what are you looking at from, um, you know, helping the customers understand that data, understanding how they're either using or not using the data, and how are you kind of prioritizing that information both from a services capability of how you're offering it to them, but also from a services capability from what is available from, from their aspect as well. Yeah, that's a very good question, Doug. And I, I agree a lot of uh, customers are asking that question, kind of wrestling with this challenge of um, if they do have the data being generated, you know, they've moved down this digital path, 
some of that struggle of, of what do I do with this is, is definitely an issue. And I think other customers asking the question of, you know, if we're going to invest in infrastructure and modernization in order to get more data, then again, the same question, what do we do with it to optimize performance? So some of the things that we're doing today um, within Rockwell, first, um, uh, simply within our, our hardware and software systems is um, we're moving down the path of building more analytic capabilities um, within uh, our intelligent controllers uh, and other devices as well as our uh, enterprise software so that there can be some automated analytics that result from data that's coming back from machines, right? Um, and those analytic engines can potentially do things that would indicate the health uh, of different devices or an entire machine or process line um, so that you begin to generate automated information and diagnostic information on things that are happening within the devices uh, and within the, the various machines on the plant floor. So that's number one, and we're moving down that path. I think secondly, though, from a service perspective, um, there's a lot of opportunity to deliver value on top of that in terms of analyzing trends in that data, um, performance benchmarks on that data compared to other manufacturers that are in a similar space uh, to really help customers determine what they need to do specifically um, within their operations uh, as an example to improve quality, um, leveraging longer-term uh, trended data to determine what are the various factors that seem to indicate uh, degradation of quality uh, in specific output of a given you know, manufactured element. Um, so that requires higher value analytics, more big data analytics, um, domain knowledge of a particular manufacturing process. So those are the types of services we're beginning to deliver more and more of as these analytics become available uh, from our customers' plants. So you're actually taking it off their hands that, uh, not really off their hands, but helping them understand their data with them better. Correct. Correct. Excellent. Excellent. But so one of the questions that we always get, um, and you know, even working with Rockwell and you know, the manufacturers and the customers out there is, great, we're getting data, we're getting dashboards, um, but the problem is, again, too much data, alerts are going off all the time. How do we build, or what, what are you guys seeing from how do you build, you know, the, the future of the Andon boards, if you want to use that, as well as if there's any type of collaboration capabilities built in. So if an alert goes off, are you building workflows to say, okay, I need to call the expert in here, which could be in-house or even, you know, out of house. So are, are you building anything from a capability standpoint that says this alert just happened on customer X on this device, I being Rockwell, the vendor that has that product for them, want to be alerted about that so we can start heading it off at the pass? Yes. And, um... I think a couple key points there. I think um, at the first level, the part of the challenge, I think, as you're indicating, Doug, is there's a lot of uh, alarms that occur, right, in a process line in any given day in a, you know, a manufacturing process. Some of them are meaningful, some are not, right? So in terms of being able to set up 
a what I would call more of a managed service agreement with customers, there needs to be collaboration up front as to what the the process line is all about, what the key um, variables and trends are that need to be monitored that would indicate potential issues. And then you set up your sensors and the monitoring capability, which can be done remotely, tapping into the system, to identify which combinations um, of events or alarms indicate a potential pending failure or pending issue or an issue that's already occurred. Um, so, so there's definitely collaboration with the customer that has to occur up front um, to enable those systems to be put in place. And then uh, generally then we'll, what we do from a service perspective is we have people that uh, are knowledgeable on what that customer is running from a system perspective, and then those alarms uh, can be routed to our support command center, which here in the United States is in Cleveland, um, where we have people 24 hours a day who are available to respond to alarms. What's also great with technology today is we, we may have domain experts for certain industry applications that are located all over the country or even all over the world. And those alarms can be routed directly to their desktop wherever they may be sitting and they can get online and see what's going on in the system as well and troubleshoot it remotely. So, so, so technology's enabling us to do a lot more remotely to support customers on their issues. But I think a key part of it is up front there needs to be collaboration with the customer on what the most important parameters are to be monitoring. So, I mean, I, I know uh, a question back to you, Doug. I mean, I think uh, this type of monitoring um, has been fairly common on the IT side of the world. And I know Cisco's kind of with your technology and your products bridges both IT and OT. Uh, do you see this type of service interaction in the IT environment? So, yeah, it, it, that's a great point because I think IT has been doing that for a while where, you know, you have that actually in, in, you know, looking at 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the network operations were starting to be outsourced to guarantee uptime capabilities. So using a third party to say, hey, we're going to monitor that for you. If we see an anomaly um, or a threat detection, if we talk about security, then we're going to help, you know, alleviate that. We're going to help pass it off and we're going to help make sure that it doesn't become an issue for your operations. Now we're now starting to see that move down the stack, if you want to use the you know, ISA or Purdue model, um, into the operation side of the house. So going into the, the machine floor, the machine operations, and ensuring the availability is there and is being driven across the board as we go forward. Um, and now the, the operations guys are going, you know, networking shouldn't be my issue. It, the connectivity, yes, it needs to be up, it needs to be there. I need to either outsource that internally to the IT department, so in operations and IT working together tighter and saying, okay, this is what we need to do from, is it five nines availability? What does that mean? <clears throat> the cost benefit ratio to drive that capability to give those type of service level agreements internally, or even we're starting to see it a little bit starting to happen externally as well. Um, and I see that then going from you're not just the networking component, but even into the end devices component and guaranteeing the uptime and the availability 
from, you know, now that we can get to those devices and have that service level agreement there, we can start building a, a completely new services model um, for delivery mechanisms. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I, if I look at some of your customers who are machine builders, um, and we see, you know, in the future, not probably in the next few years, but changing the business model of moving away from a capital intensive by the machine to more an operational um, expense where I'm going to pay for output from that machine. So that machine is guaranteeing me a million widgets a week. I'm going to pay for a million widgets a week. If I produce a million and 20, then I pay a little bit more for that. If I only produce 900,000 of them, I pay less for that standpoint. Um, and that, that really is going to change how people start looking at manufacturing, um, but also looking at the maintenance that you're describing, the data discovery, the data ownership, um, and all the, all the lines with that. So I, I see those two services offerings starting to converge um, probably over the next few years and different service vendors actually offering this convergence as a capability as they move forward as well. Are you seeing anything along those lines coming forward? Yeah, I think um, as a service vendor, um, clearly in the uh, ITOT convergence space, so as you know, we're getting this network convergence between the plant floor, right, and the higher level uh, systems. Uh, like I said earlier, we're doing a lot around network services. Part of what we're also delivering there is uh, infrastructure solutions, obviously, to help the customers put that infrastructure in place. Uh, part of those solutions includes, you know, servers, uh, as well as managed switches from Cisco, I might add. Um, to get, put the, putting that infrastructure with the right security and delivering it is kind of a paneled solution, if you will, on the plant floor. We're bundling that with managed service. So we're monitoring those remotely, uh, with an SLA for response time, we're doing the workflow administration, right, so who has access to go down for, to further levels within the network on the plant floor. We're managing all of that um, for the, the customer, kind of the OT side of the house, if you will. Um, and I think similar to what you're saying, these are kind of very much IT-oriented type services. Uh, and we're beginning to sell that whole package as a service, so infrastructure as a service. Um, so I think some of those concepts that have been common uh, on the IT side for the last decade, uh, we are beginning to see the, them work their way into the uh, operations uh, side of our customers. And uh, again, for us, we think it's a great opportunity. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to deliver value for our customers. And again, back to where we were talking earlier, help them move towards the digital factory and you know, some of the benefits that I think we all know will be generated from that. Yeah, I think that's one of the, I mean, not to toot our own horn, being Cisco and Rockwell together, but I think that is an incredible power that we have together of seeing it happening in the IT side of the house. It is starting to happen in the operational side of the house. How do we take the best practices, bring those to the customers, have them aware of where we can start to go and start morphing and changing the whole model of their businesses as well? Um, which I think is going to be an interesting next few years as we start even going further and further and deeper and deeper with these customers. For just last takeaway, what would be, if you're sitting in front of a customer, and let's say I'm 
you know, making something and I'm one of your customers, what would be the one thing that we should watch out for as the only takeaway for us, you know, the biggest takeaway that you would say, um, learnings or whatnot from here? Uh, I guess for customers is number one to, to, to learn, open, open your eyes to what's going on maybe outside your own operation, your own plant or your own company uh, and what other companies might be doing to leverage, uh, again, an intelligent factory, uh, connectivity between the OT and the IT side, leveraging of analytics to improve the understanding of what's going on in your operations to you know, leverage that to improve productivity and operational performance and asset utilization is learn what's going on out there. And then I think number two would be to work with somebody um, to develop a business case and a plan for how you might leverage these types of concepts uh, in your own operations. Well, this has been a great conversation today. I did want to add one more question, um, which is, here at Connected Futures, we talk to C-suite executives all the time. And I think you both were talking about, you know, uh, certain manufacturers are trying to figure out how to start their plans on this digital journey. So can you just give a couple of tips of what executives at the C-level can do to really drive their digital plans within manufacturing? Well, I think, I, this is Scott, I'll respond to that first. I think the first thing any C-level executive is going to want to understand is some some sort of a business case. So what, what's the value for, for me and my company uh, to move forward on a digital journey uh, within my plant operation? So um, they're going to expect that, right, number one. I think then moving top down, uh, I think C-level executives would need to be pushing their operations teams to begin to try to understand what are the most significant barriers to optimizing our manufacturing performance, however that's measured, output, you know, OEE, uptime, quality, there's a lot of different metrics in the plant environment. But C-level executives should be challenging their operations leaders to determine what what are the biggest challenges we have, which might push the operations leaders to say, you know what, I, I don't really know. Uh, clearly, I need to get more data and analytics around my plant performance, but I think that would probably be a best practice for C-level executives. Yeah, I think to add on to that, um, you know, there was a great survey recently that uh, said that 40% of businesses are going to be disrupted unless and until they move into the digital capabilities. So it's not a when anymore, it's a how, which, you know, goes exactly what Scott was talking about of how are you going to do it. Um, and, and, and to back that up, it's not a how and analysis paralysis that you never do anything because then you will be guaranteed one of those 40% that will not be here in the next few years. What we really need to work on and have, have customers start doing is at least start moving forward with something. So the kicker is to make sure that something is happening to move you forward. Otherwise, um, you won't be around. So at least doing something will get you started and moving and start seeing what those capabilities are, which will change your business for the better. Excellent, excellent. So great conversation today. I want to thank both Doug and Scott for sharing your insights.
And to hear more about digital transformation, check out Cisco's Connected Futures magazine at www.connectedfuturesmag.com. Thank you.